today, though, is a wonderful day. Just the opportunity to worship God, that alone is awesome. Also, in addition to that today is our SOS Sunday. You know, the, the SOS was the original cry for help. Save our souls is what it originally stood for. We think of that in the life of this congregation of definitely we want our souls saved, but we want to be concerned about other souls also. And so we call this Serving Our Savior. And for several years, we have used this as a way to find out what works are available and what workers are available, and then the work can best be organized. And so we look forward to this day. Keep in mind that if you have filled out an SOS two years ago or any time within the last two years, all of that data will be scrapped and it'll all start over fresh. So everyone needs to participate in this. And uh, we want to encourage you to do that today. If you've already been in Bible class, you have picked up one of the SOS booklets. If not, there will be those booklets available after service today. And then you'll also see a little form if you'll just put the numbers that collate with the places that you want to be involved in the work and you can turn those in tonight. There is a ministry fair out in the foyer. You probably couldn't miss it on your way in. It's an opportunity for you to learn more about works that maybe you don't know as much about now. And so be sure you stop and visit with the deacons that will be hosting those particular tables. They are there to answer questions for you. They are there excited about their work and they're thankful to be a part of this congregation and be a part of the work. And so if you want to learn more about various works, come a little bit early tonight, stay a little bit long, uh, even after this service or after the evening service tonight, they would love to inform you to whatever questions and concerns that you have about those ministries. As we think about service, we think about the attitude that you have. Several years ago, I saw this picture and I just thought about the attitude that the employer must have had and how maybe the boss kept calling over and over. I could just imagine him being at another location and, and calling each day. Hey, have you changed that sign yet? Have you changed that sign yet? And finally one day the employee says, yeah, I changed it. And, and you can imagine uh, how that probably went over when the boss found out about that. You know, when, when we think about serving our Savior, we want to make sure that we realize this is not a push to get anybody to do something against their will. It's not a push to twist any arms. You know, when the Lord talks about what He wants us to give to Him in 2 Corinthians the ninth chapter, He says, I don't want it out of necessity. That's the only reason you're going to do it. It's because you feel like you have to. He says, I don't want it. Don't want it to be begrudgingly. He says, I want a cheerful giver. And so we're thankful, literally, we're not just saying that as an expression of speech. We are thankful to have the opportunity to be a child of God, to be a Christian, to be a, about the Lord's work. As we think about that, we think about the need, though, for everybody to be about the work. You know, Western Union made uh, this sentence up because they could type this one sentence and in this one sentence, they would have the 26 letters of the alphabet to test whether or not their communication was arriving as it should arrive and, and with accuracy that it should be. You know, when we think about the work of the church, we think about the fact that is it something that just a few of us ought to be involved in or is it something that all of us are to be involved in? In the scripture reading that has been capably read, you saw that each one of the verses in 22 and 23 and 24 
Each one of those verses begins with, let us. Did you notice that? The one said, let us draw near to God. The other was, let us hold fast the confession of the faith. The other said, let us consider one another. Now that's powerful because it began each one with saying, let us. Notice he didn't say, let the deacons of the church consider one another. He didn't say, let the preacher in the church. He didn't say, let the elders in the church. He said, let us. All of us are to be about this. But you know, before we dive right into talking about service and our opportunity to serve, I'd like for us to do really what we've been doing for several weeks now. And that is taking a topic, you remember as we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit, and yet we've taken that, this wonderful study on the surface, and we've gone a lot deeper and worked our way back to the top. I'd like for you to notice that's the same thing that the Hebrew writer does here. He could have dove right into talking about how we ought to consider one another, but he doesn't start there. And this, instead, he says, I want to begin with your relationship with God. I want to begin to see what your commitment of faith is. And then when we have the relationship with God established and the commitment of faith established, then let's talk about then what you can do for other people. And so let's begin in that same way. Look back, if you will. We're in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and, and we're, let's look at verse 20, 10th chapter and 22. Notice as he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So here he says, let us draw near to God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Maybe there's somebody here that knows somebody that's a celebrity, or maybe you know someone that's, that's a professional athlete, or maybe you know a, a politician of high ranking, and maybe others think that it's pretty neat that, that you're close to them and that you can pick up the phone and call them. Do you know God? Are you in constant communication and devotion with God? Can you say that each day of your life you are drawing near to God? Every day you're close to God. In other words, it's not just a Sunday religion. Your relationship with God is real. He is your father. He is your friend. And you are close to Him day in and day out. Now... Hopefully all of us would say, I want to draw near to God. Back up just a page in your Bible, you see in the 7th chapter in verse 19, we see this phrase again, to draw near to God, 7 and 19. He says, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And, and you know, the book of Hebrews constantly compares the old law to the new law and the old lawgiver Moses to the new lawgiver Jesus Christ. Now under the old law, there was only that shedding of blood by bulls and lambs and goats. But yet under the new law, there was a shedding of Jesus Christ's blood. And so here he writes and he talks about under that old law, there was no way to really draw that close to God in the same sense of what we can draw close to God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our hope to draw near to God. And so when we think about here in the 22nd verse of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, there's something that is very much so our responsibility. He says, do you have a true heart? And can you do so in full assurance of faith? 
Now think about that. A true heart. Are you genuine? Are you truly devoted to God? Can you say, I, I'm serious about this. I'm real about this. Or are you hypocritical? Are you a counterfeit? Are you apathetic? You see, the Lord is painting a picture here to say, I want to show you who can draw near to me. The person has to be true. They have to be genuine. You know, I'm going to guess that you don't even like hypocrites. I'm not saying you mistreat them. Hopefully as Christians, we love everyone. We do what's right and best. But you know, there's a big difference in love and say, I want to spend Sunday afternoon with them. I'm going to guess that when it comes to hypocrite, you'd say, I wouldn't prefer to spend Sunday afternoon with them. They get on my nerves. You never know which way they're going to be. They're two-faced. They talk with a forked tongue. They're not genuine. They're not true. You know who else doesn't like hypocrites? God doesn't. Oh, He loves them. He sent His Son to die for them. But if they decide to live their life in that way, God says, they won't be a part of my family. They will not draw near to me. I will keep my distance from them. Who does God want? Listen, God knows that there's not a person here perfect, but God wants individuals that are true. They are genuine about their relationship with Him. Now, that full assurance of faith, how do we know what is that full assurance of faith? You remember Romans the 10th chapter and verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It is in the Word of God that we learn what our faith system ought to be. In the same opening you have here, look at Hebrews the 11th chapter and verse 1. It is the only time that faith is defined in the Bible. Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what's interesting is some translations would even say faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And we go back to our text that we're studying in Hebrews 10 and 22. He says, let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. God wants us to be assured that we are of the faith that He would want us to have. Not because we say, I've just got this good feeling inside. He's saying because we have studied His Word we have obeyed His Word. We have submitted our life to God by listening to His Word. We want to draw near to God? He says, first, you be a genuine person. Second, you learn my Word and submit your life to me. But still, that doesn't take care of the past. What about the past sins that we've committed? He says, that evil conscience of the past... It needs to be sprinkled. You remember, we're comparing Old Testament and New Testament. Under the old law, the sprinkling of the blood to, to atone for sins and to sanctify. Well, we're not going to sprinkle the, the blood of, of a lamb or a goat on you this morning to say that, that this is going to have some kind of healing effect in your spiritual life. But there is a washing that needs to take place. Do you see at the end of 22? It's the bodies washed with pure water. What is he referring to? The only thing spiritually that contains water and washing that pertains to our spiritual life in the scripture is always baptism. There's no other act that involves water. And so he says, what I want you to do about those past sins, now keep in mind, who are we talking to? We're talking people with a good and a true heart. We're talking with people that's listening to the Word of God and they're drawing near Him. But what about their past sins? We've got to have the remission of those sins. And He says, allow them to be what? 
Do you think there's another scripture that talks about the conscience and talks about the washing in the water and relates it to baptism? Look, if you would, 1 Peter, the third chapter. 1 Peter, the third chapter. 1 Peter, the third chapter, and verse 21. It's 1,078 in the Bibles. It's in your pews there, or it's on the screen. In 1 Peter 3 and 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Now, an explanation of baptism in parentheses here given by God is this. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. In other words, it's not a physical bath. There's something much deeper. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Well, where did this have its power? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want a good conscience. You want to be able to answer with a good conscience. Do you have the assurance of faith? And someone says, I do. How can you answer with a good conscience and know that? It's one that has been washed in the water. What do we come in contact with in that water? Revelation 1 and 5 tells us that we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Acts 2 and 38 tells us that's where sins are remiss. That's where they're taken away. Now, what, what's the point here? There's a point that we're making that's very important, but what it's tied to is also very important this morning. I think that we're in a climate in religion today where there is so much that is said about service that sometimes we forget to take care of first things first. In other words, please understand this. We want everybody to get involved in the work of the church. That's why we're having SOS Sunday. But please don't misunderstand this. We're not saying some way you get involved and you work hard and, and you're going to merit your way to heaven. You work hard and you're going to work yourself into a great eternal life. Friends, get your life right first with God. Notice the order that God gives here. Draw near to God. Make sure that your sins are forgiven. Make sure that you are true truly the person you ought to be. Make sure that you're a person of faith, that you have the assurance based on God's Word that you are who you ought to be. Because it doesn't matter if you get involved in multiple ministries and you give multiple hours every day. If your soul is not saved, what have you gained? How foolish would that be to say, I got really fired up about works. I just forgot grace. I just left the Savior right out of the picture. Don't do that. Be concerned for your soul. Love the Lord. Draw near to God. Now the second let us that he gives there, notice in, in Hebrews 10 and verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. If you were here last Sunday morning, you remember we studied out of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. And we looked at this verse because God is faithful. Notice it says God promised. But then he asked us to be faithful. And the faithfulness he asked of us is he says hold fast. And that literally, remember we talked about this, it literally means not to loosen the grip. So we hold on in faith and we never let go of that faith. And, and then he even says without wavering. And the root of wavering means literally not to lean. 
And so we're not going to try this idea of I'm going to step one step in the church and one step in the world and, and I'm going to be a Sunday Christian and through the week I'll live like I want. He says, hold fast, draw near to God and hold fast. Don't even lean toward the world. The way the Hebrew writer would say it, back up to the third chapter, I'd like for you to see this same teaching as it ties to the word if. The Hebrew writer continually ties it to if, and we don't have a screen here on these, but about 1,063 will be in the Bible that's in your pew. And notice Hebrews, the third chapter. I'm going to read several verses here, and you just notice how the Hebrew writer talks about how important it is to hold on and, and, and it's contingent. Look at 3 and 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, talking about the church, we are that church, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. The Hebrew writer continually talks with the end in mind. Hold fast to the end. Drop down and, and read this same chapter, verse 14, 3 and 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if... We hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Go to the fourth chapter, verse 14. 4 and 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then he continues to talk about that high priest. You see how each time, we're holding fast. We're holding fast to the end. And if we do that, we have the reward. Now when we go to Hebrews the 10th chapter, you see that in verse 23, that was the text, hold fast the confession of our faith, but drop down and read 26 and see what the other option is. In 26 we see the word if again. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Do you realize there's no such thing as continuing to willfully sin and be forgiven? That's exactly what 26 is saying. There is no sacrifice for that. The Lord shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins for those who will turn to Him and away from sin. And so this idea that I'm going to become a Christian but I'm not going to really hold on, the Hebrew writer keeps saying, if you don't, if you do, if you don't, your sins can't be forgiven any longer. If you do hold on, you're prepared for the end. You have a hope that is based on the promises of God. Draw near. Hold on. Why? Notice this last one. Verse 24. Let us consider one another. Now, notice again. He didn't say, I want the deacons to consider everyone. I want the elders to consider it. I want the preachers to consider it. Notice, he says, let us. In other words, he says, I'm, I'm still talking to the whole church. Let us do what? Consider. What does consider mean? It means to behold, to think about, to look for. It even means to discover. So, what is everybody here supposed to be looking for? Everybody here is supposed to be looking for one another. Well, what are we looking to do for one another? Let us consider one another what? In order, there's a reason why we're doing it, in order to stir up, he says, for love and 
good works. Everybody here is responsible to help other people love God and do good works. The stir up there is such a strong word of action. Another place, this exact Greek word, I'm not talking about the root of it. I'm not talking about some version of it. I'm talking about the exact Greek word is used in Hebrews, the 15th chapter, when Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp contention that it split their second missionary journey because they couldn't decide whether or not they were going to take John Mark. And Paul said, I'm not taking him. Barnabas said, I'm taking him. They had such a sharp contention. That's the same word here for stir up. Such a sharp contention that they split their ways. What's this word stir up mean? Stir up means that it is something that moves us into action. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to be helping others move into action. Of what? Of love and of good works. What are those good works? Well, it's the work of the church. We could look at many. Remember Matthew, the 25th chapter? Remember those that heard, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? The good works there were those that they fed the hungry, they gave water to the thirsty, they visited the sick, they visited the prison, they took in the strangers. And remember those people even said, Jesus, we don't know when we've done it to you. And he says, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Love one another. You remember John the 13th chapter when Jesus washed the feet? And then after he washed the feet, he told them that he did that as their teacher. Now they were supposed to go out and love one another in the same way. And he even said, I give you a new commandment later in that same chapter, to love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. As we think about the opportunity that we have, we realize that not only is it an opportunity, it's a responsibility. Let us stir up others to love, to good works. Do you always think it's a little bit strange when somebody talks to you in third person? You know, like if I stood up here this morning and at the beginning I said, David is very glad to be here this morning. David hopes you're glad to be here this morning. Now, I know there's a few of you weirdos out there that probably do that and think that it's normal, but I'm just letting you know the rest of the world doesn't think that's very normal. And it always kind of raises an eyebrow. Why do they do that? Do you know people do that same thing with the church? Who's the church? The church is not this physical facility. This is the building. The church, that's the people. And, for example, here, three times in a row, he's talking to the church. He says, let us... But then you hear those strange remarks sometimes people will make when they talk about the church in third person. Well, I tell you what, up there at the church, they're just not as friendly as what they ought to be. And this be a member of the church saying it. And you just want to say, what? Oh, we're, we're not perfect. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying how odd is it that they talk in third person? Well, I tell you what, up there at the church, they, they, they just need to, 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 to do more mission work. Or up there at the church, they just need to reach out more in the community. Let's make sure that none of us are spiritual weirdos. And let's make sure that we say it the right way. You know what they need up there at the church? We need to be more friendly. We need to be reaching out to our community more. We need to be making sure that mission work is done. 
all of us realize that we're not perfect. We follow a perfect plan, but we're not perfect. We can do it better. But there is no such thing as being a faithful child of God and talking about the church in the third person. Who's going to be the ones that stir up other people to love and good works? It's going to be us. Every one of us. We are responsible for love. We are responsible for serving. And we are responsible to get other people to love and to serve. This morning, though, is a little bit different than most Sundays. This morning you have 48 deacons and you have a youth minister that has devoted their life today to stirring you up. They want to tell you about the good works that's going on simply because you may not know about them all. You may honestly not know about a lot of the opportunities that you have right at your fingertips that you've got the ability and you've got the opportunity and you've got the resources we're not asking anyone to do something that's not your ability, that you don't have the, the time to do or you don't have the resources to do or you don't have the ability to do. We're saying what God says, 1 Peter 4.10. He's given everybody an ability. He's given everybody a gift. Make sure this morning you take the time to read through this booklet. Ask the questions that you need to ask to the men that are out in the foyer. And make sure you take the time to make a commitment to say, I want to be involved in the work of the Lord. First thing I need to do in my life is draw near to God. And when I do that, I need to make a commitment that says, I'm holding fast and I am not ever going to let go. And from there, I want to love other people. How selfish would it be if I thought about wanting to go to heaven but not concerned about serving other people and encouraging them to go with me. Let's make sure that our life is always, always about the Lord and His church and helping everybody that we know to love Him and that body. This morning, are you saved? If not, we've talked about salvation this morning. And we would love to assist you in any way that you can. Maybe you still have questions. We'd love to just sit down and study with you individually. Whatever you need, whatever would help you take steps closer to God, we want you to draw near to God. This morning, maybe you've struggled with holding fast. You need to repent of sins and confess sin and pray forgiveness. We'd love to see you rededicate your life. There's not anybody here perfect. But let's make sure that we all leave here saved, and concerned about others, giving our life to serving our Savior. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.